podcast with Kyle and Harper. We'll be talking about live action gameplay and experiences. Throughout the series, we will talk about specific work and also more general topics surrounding work. This episode will look at historical LARP. <clears throat> These are LARP which have either a historical theme or look to recreate a historical event, such as the Field of Cloth of Gold, for those who are familiar with that. Before we step into this topic, I would like to take this moment to thank Feedspot, which is a blogging site for including From Adventure to Innkeeper as one of the top five LARP podcasts to listen to in 2023. Their list is a good one, and I can recommend all the podcasts on it, with, of course, a major bias toward this one, which is in the number two spot. Their website is blog.feedspot.com, and the top five list can be found at blog.feedspot.com backslash LARP underscore podcasts. This show is for both new LARPers through to seasoned veterans, and we will be implementing a scale to let you know the main focus of the episode. Episodes will air every odd month, so January, March, May, July, September, November, and will be approximately one to two hours in length. Every episode is for everyone, but some will focus more on issues which will resonate with one group or another. As such, we have a scale for uh, each episode that will tell you the focus on the topics and possibly the depths of some of the various blogs and dungeons that we will wade into. The scale for this episode will be well-known and noble, as it's aimed at both those who LARP and those who create LARP. We will however, be covering topics in this episode that relate directly to players and game designers, so I hope that both players and game designers will find this episode useful for them. As this episode covers more issues directed to both players and creators, I've arranged to have some guests to help me live here uh, via Zoom. To discuss their thoughts on historical LARP. Okay, so with me today I have Lisa, who's currently from Denmark, and Colin from the United Kingdom. So thank you, Lisa and Colin, for joining me today. Uh, before we begin an open discussion, let me first ask the two of you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your involvement with LARP. So, uh, Lisa, if you'd like to start. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Um... So I am a LARP organizer. Um, I am the uh, lead producer of Charm Plume Productions, which is a French nonprofit organization that makes uh, LARP events. We currently have a production that is going to run for the third time, which is called The Meeting of Monarchs, um, which is a Renaissance-inspired game. And uh, we are soon going to have two more games, one inspired by Game of Thrones and the other one inspired by The Witcher. Um, before I started my nonprofit, I worked for Jobak Larp Studios. Um, and we also run uh, some very famous blockbuster games. Um, and I have LARPed for I think about six or seven years, which is not that much compared to a lot of other people. But um, yeah, I'm very passionate about the hobby. Excellent. And thank you for being on the show today. And uh, Colin, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Martin. Yeah, uh, Colin Northridge. I'm, I live in the UK uh, and from the accent, you can, I'm, you can probably tell I'm not originally from the UK. Uh, I moved over from Ireland in the late 1990s. Uh, to Cardiff, and it was there actually that uh, I first got introduced to uh, live role playing in the um, 
the local university society. So I've had a history, sorry, a previous um, history of being interested in, in historical topics and tabletop role play and maybe vampire LARP in my teens. But this was the first um, introduction to to live role playing as we would know it. Um, and I guess I've I've kept that on um, ever since. But for me, uh, the high fantasy side of live role playing never really um, took root. I always preferred something that I could uh, refer back to and have a large reference source. So uh, I've it's always been um, the, the LARPs with a historical pint or low fantasy LARPs that that, that have appealed more to me. Uh, I suppose it's worth pointing out as well that I've kind of flittered in between live role playing and reenactment. And from a philosophical perspective, I'm I'm looking at trying to get a, a blend between the two. So the the visual aesthetic that is afforded by high quality living history, um, but at the same time the immersion factor that live role playing affords. Um in terms of organization, I haven't organized a, as that many events actually. Um, I do do a lot of project management with my my work, um, but once I have organised a, a player event and also one more recently, um, an event called Jacobite a few years ago, which is um, very much inspired by Outlander, the TV series, but really focuses on the the Scottish Highlands in the uh, the 18th century, and very much designed on the the interplay between the the various clans and the machinations, um, all then against the backdrop of fantastic costuming and tartan fabrics etc um, and there's some amazing photographs of the the first event which I was involved with um by well, ran basically and then my my colleague mark who's taken it on since um yeah that's me i've waffled up for enough there over to you martin thanks fantastic thank you uh, as i mentioned earlier thank you for being here um so to ensure that we're on the same page for the purposes of this conversation and so that our listeners sort of get reminded of what we're discussing. I'm just going to briefly define uh, what specifically we're talking about today. Uh, so we're going to be discussing historical LARP, uh, both from the perspective of uh, the creator and also from a player perspective. Um, the way that we're defining historical LARP today is that any LARP that either aims to recreate a historical event or one that's set in a historical time or historical setting. So now that we're hopefully all on the same page, I'm, uh, page, I'm going to open this up to my guests a little bit, then we can begin uh, delving a little bit deeper into this aspect of LARP. So uh, whoever wants to answer first is fine, but uh, in deciding what kind of historical LARP you wish to either create or play, um, what are your main criteria? Uh, I'll happily jump in there. So I think... Um... So I think the setting, I, I think you want to pick a setting, a historical setting that is inspiring and that has a rich background and and scope for friction or or are certainly opposing ideals between different um people, agencies, um, groupings, just to just to generate that that game for want of a better phrase, and those interactions that are going to make the, the LARP memorable. Um I think that's one I would say the setting, the venue, the backdrop is is equally um, important. I think, well, certainly I'm 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 lazy. I don't have to imagine too much. Uh, I want to be surrounded by a place that that takes me back to the um, the setting. Um, and I'll pause for there for anyone else who's got a comment. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. I think that is very important um, uh, when you try and decide on a on a historical theme. Um, 
With Charm Clone Productions, we also um, sort of base our choices on pop culture and widespread literature preferences of, you know, internationally. Um, so actually you mentioned uh, Jacobite, which is inspired by Outlander. Um, and of course, um, a famous example would also be Fairweather Manor that was inspired by Downton Abbey, um, which Martin and I both played together. Um, I think that I these think are... Yeah. Yeah, I met, I met Martin for the first time at uh, Fairweather Manor, actually. So I think we must oh. have all been there, but it's um, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> it is. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really think that um, it is interesting to um, yeah look at you know what's what's out there, what's been on 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 Netflix, on HBO, and get inspiration from that because it speaks to people's imagination a lot. Um, also, when it comes to literature, um, for instance, um, you know, the um, uh, Victorian Gothic novels, uh, I think that would be a, a really nice uh, theme to, to work with, which is obviously also a historical theme as well as a, a little bit of, of fiction too, but yeah. No, I think those are those, those are both very good points. Um, you know, it's it's for for me, it's always from a play from a player perspective, it's it's always a question of of what interests me. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to go to a game that that I find interesting. So down, so so Fairweather Manor is a great example of that. Um, you know, both both my wife and I enjoyed watching that series. Uh, enjoyed watching the Downton Abbey series, which is why the LARP sort of spoke to us. Um, it's, it was something that we could easily do from both a travel and a costuming perspective, which made it very easy. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that for for me, it sort of it sort of does it speak to me? Is it interesting? Um, and that's not to say that others aren't interesting. Um, the the one that that you've put together, uh, Lisa, uh, for the 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 Henry the Eighth one, I forget what the name of it is because. I'm just bad. A meeting of monarchs. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> Henry VIII um, meeting Francis the First. Yes, based on the, the 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 fields of the cloth of gold or something like that, if I remember correctly. Exactly. Um, yes. You know, my wife still wants to go to that LARP. Yeah, you know, ah, the, she's very welcome. <laughs> that's that's an absolutely fascinating story, and and I think that it would be an amazing LARP to go to. Once I can figure out timing and costuming and all that fun stuff, um, but it does bring us. It, it does partially bring us to the next question, though, which is, how much does? Um, how, actually, let me actually skip a question and we'll come back to the other one, which is, how important is costuming to you in a historical work? So I think this really depends on whether you look at it from a player perspective or an organizer perspective. Um, of course, as an organizer, you don't want to be too strict about it because, for instance, um, when you're running a LARP at a castle, it's usually already very expensive because the venue is expensive. Um, and if on top of that, you are going to ask players to be completely historically accurate, it is going to be very complicated to find people who have the financial means um, to participate. 
Um, so for a meeting of monarchs, which is, which is a, a Renaissance LARP, where historically speaking, both courts, so the English one and the French one, came together to basically show off how rich they were, how sophisticated they were. Um, so they would have been dressed uh, very uh, luxuriously and you know, with, with a lot of um, costly fabrics and, and jewelry and accessories. Um, and of course, that's not something that everybody can afford. So we try and give people a, a costume guide that you know gives them uh, ideas on how to put, uh, how to customize, um, maybe a, a dress that they have found online, for instance, for not that much uh, of a budget. Um, how to use, um, you know, uh, thrift stores, things that you find uh, for a lesser price. Um, but from a player perspective, uh, personally, I love to make costumes and I love to invest time and my skills and, of course, also money <laughs> into it because it's, it's part of the hype for me to build a costume uh, for a specific LARP. Um, so yeah personally this is the part that gets me really excited about a historical larp is that you know i can spend time on figuring out how they dressed and what i want to look like uh what would fit with the character so yeah it, it really depends which side you um you look at this question i think i'll, I'll totally echo you what you're saying there lisa as well i think it's um certainly when you're researching a larp it's um it's an amazing voyage of discovery, and you just you just learn so much by that period just by looking at the costuming as a whole. Uh, one thing I'll say about the costuming, it's um, I think it's it's important to get the right look and feel, um, and certainly this is my perspective on it. Um, that it's it should fit the silhouette of the the period, yeah. um, but it's not necessarily vital to have you know everything hand sewn or hand stitched or or pure wool materials like you would in like a, a living history scenario. Um, you know, use appropriate materials that will give you the like right look and feel. But you, <clears throat> there are ways to to cut corners really, and in, in in that regards, you know, get I think getting the the silhouette right is is the most important thing. Um, and quality can, well, obviously some people have either the, the skills that they can make stuff or, or the budget that they can hire or buy in the costume. But I think if you get the right silhouette, then you're, uh, it doesn't look jarring and it fits with the setting. Uh, but I do think that's important. I just thought of something that we, um, that we also have, I think we have written it into the player guide for Meeting of Monarchs is that if you, Feel that you know getting a, a costume that, as as you say, like like fits the fits the setting, fits the fits the the silhouette of the of the character. If you feel that that's too complicated, um, you can always come up with an excuse why the character lost all of their possessions. As in, for a meeting of monarchs, um, it's to entirely possible that on the road to the field of the cloth of gold. The character might have gambled in a tavern somewhere, gotten drunk, and just you know was entirely either robbed or lost everything while gambling, and they just ended up at the field of the cloth of gold with just a shirt on their back. So it it, do, it doesn't matter like the as as long as there's a reason for it, 
as long as the, the player manages to um, appropriate the, 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 the character's physical appearance to, you know, if there's a reason for it, then it's totally fine. You have now given me an excuse to use my peasant Renaissance fair garb at, at uh, the meeting. At the of meeting monarchs. of monarchs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, if you can, if you can find an entertaining excuse, then totally fine by me. <laughs> and so my you know, mind's playing tricks as well. We've got a um, one of the long-running groups I was part of, or I'm part of, is I think called Cabot's Company, which is um, it's basically a, a cohort of uh, Tudor archers and a group that uh, a friend of mine, Brian, put together to go over to some of the um, the big German events. Um, Dracovest Conquest Mythodea, mainly to, to interlock with some of the uh, the Landsknecht groups that were uh, over there, and they're exactly the same time period. So there's a there's a bunch of us with uh, all the costume to be um, early Henrician um, soldiers, and uh, we actually got invited to support. And we're all LARPers. There's there's no reenactors there. We all got invited to support a Tudor joust taking place at the uh, the Tower of London. And it was absolutely fantastic because we got to walk around in our Tudor uniforms um, uh, and interact with the public and um, see all the um, the actors, we'll say, that are you know playing Henry VIII. And of course, as, as LARPers, we just act appropriately. And their actors, they interacted perfectly. It was, uh, it was a good experience. It's... Uh... It's always fun to, to to have guests like the two of you who, who do a lot of your own costuming because I I am absolutely worthless at that. I mean, you know, uh, pe people are lucky that I can sew on a button on a shirt kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for, for, for me, costuming is always one of those things where if I can't get it off the shelf or if I can't have someone make it for me, um, then then it's it's a no-go and it's, you know, going to be something really simple at the end of the day. Oh, I'm, I'm very much in the same boat. I, I cannot sew to save my life. But, uh, but, but I do have to admit, you know, that, that especially for some events, costuming is so important. I, I mean, if, if somebody had been off in their, in their costuming for, for Fairweather Manor, for example, it would have stood out like a sore thumb. Um, and it, it really does sort of help put you in that proper historical mood um I, I i can't tell you how how much i sat back every morning doing up the the um the, the lacing on just the boots for the uniform thinking god i can understand how some of these people just thought every day because this is painful um, <laughs> and you didn't even have to put on the corset nope <laughs> And I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm really happy for that. Um, but you know, so 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 yeah. I, I think that you know, costuming is is certainly one of those things that that visually helps make a LARP so much more effective. And I can really, I can really see it, especially the pictures that I've seen from from Meeting of the Monarchs. You know, it it looks almost as if you stepped out of that of that Tudor period. And yeah. it, it just looks amazing. So, so I, I can definitely, definitely understand that. Some of those dresses, for instance, are made with curtains. <laughs> People just 
get very creative when they uh, when they need to make a Renaissance dress. <laughs> I I don't doubt that. <laughs> um, so that does partially bring us to the the question that we skipped, which is how how much does a venue um, play a role in in a historical LARP? Do you feel? Um, so to me, the venue is really important. Not necessarily that it has to be from the exact period that you are portraying, um, but it has to fit with the the setting or the the, the vibe, the period that you're aiming for. For instance, um, again, for Meaning of Monarchs, the, the castle that we're using is not at all a Renaissance castle, but it looks like one. It was built in, I think it was the late 18th century. Um, so it's actually two centuries too um, too late for for 1520, but it still fits with the vibe that we are going for. And talking about Jacobites, I would probably guess that Trewen Castle is also not a castle that was standing there uh, during what was it the 17th century? It it, it was actually. It, it was? was oh okay. Yeah, it's, it's a Jacobean. Um, period manor house so that okay so then then it's actually even better <laughs> it's, it's actually it's you know it's it's perfectly appropriate age-wise that clearly the, the interior has been done up a bit so it's there's quite a few anachronisms but i think the the setting um and scrubs over that um yeah that would have been by the time jacobite set well jacobite set what 1720s i think the time of the storyline it would be about 40 or 50 years old. Okay. So then um, it is really rooted in the culture and the history that is being played out against the backdrop of, of that specific castle. That is very nice. Yeah, one of the discussions we had was, um, you know, do we try and find a place in the Scottish Highlands to hold it? And... Um, my counter argument is, you know, Trone, you, it's an amazing venue. I struggle to find it's like somewhere in the UK. And, um, you know, you're in the foothills, really, the Brecon Beacons, which is a mountain range in, um, in the South Wales. So, although it's not the Scottish Highlands, it's not a million miles away from the foothills of the Scottish Highlands. So you could, you could probably get away with it. Besides, you know, it's Wales, it's wet, Scotland's wet. No one's going to be going outside that much, so you can uh, get away with quite a bit. But I think it does fit the setting. Uh, I mean, we've we've had long discussions on this channel on on venue before, so I mean, I, I think that my listeners have a good good feel for for how important venue is to yeah. a LARP itself. But there's there's other aspects of venue as well from the logistics side that. You need to factor in. So one is, you know, who's your who's your target audience in terms of players? How far are they going to have to travel? Are they traveling internationally? Where are the nearest airports, train stations? What's the access roads like? Um, what's the parking situation like at the venue? Um, will the parking, um, you know, uh, interfere with the look and feel of the, the setting? You know, are, are you going to run a period event and you're going to have to have cars parked outside the front? Uh, also, what's the accommodation situation like? Um, you know, for me, an immersion breaker is if you have to pause and stop the game and then go to a separate location for accommodation or feeding. You want everything to be 
under one roof if at all possible and um you know especially with the sleeping arrangements as well if you can have people that sleep in game uh, and maybe have oh, i don't know the wardrobes or the under the bed is the the outer game area where you can store your stuff and that way you just try and keep everything as if um fully immersive as possible um there are other big factors um and in many ways i think they they probably override the the initial look and feel um as long as it met a certain minimum standard those those logistic uh, factors it probably uh, weigh in and trump out the um some of the other ones i think it's also surprisingly difficult to find a historical location that has accommodation, um, especially if you're looking for a place that can host, let's say, at least 50 to 60 people. Um, it's it's actually quite difficult because often they are, um, you know, owned by the state or um, they are museums. Um, so there's no way for anybody to sleep on site. Yeah, we did um did another um event, a, a medieval style event at a place called Tre Tower, not um not to be confused with Trone, but um again in, in, in South Wales. That's owned by um an organization called CADU, which is the the Welsh equivalent of the English heritage. Um and we were able to hire the venue out, um, but there was public there, so we didn't have exclusive use. Um and there was no accommodation, but people were uh, camping or or sleeping in the local village hall, which I, I heard out for the, the duration of the event. But the, the big plus factor was that it was a it was a 15th century manor house and the, the great hall in the kitchen had been completely restored to its original setting. So it was absolutely stunning. And um, a medieval feast was the, the main focus of the event. So we had a, an awful lot of interactions in that area. And we were able to put a um, a period tented camp together um, in the, the grass area outside it um, where a number of us slept and um, you know we were, we were able to socialize out there as well so it was a it's a beautiful event in terms of look and feel and luckily the, the weather held for us um, but again there was some sacrifices on comfort made so it it sort of brings up up the, the question, because you've already sort of begun going down that path, of what makes a historical LARP difficult to pull off? Like what kind of pitfalls are there to, to doing a historical LARP, whether it be venue, whether it be, you know, the public being, being there? So I think... Number one, I think you you need to look at what aspect of history you want to play on. And essentially with um, modern sensibilities, there's a lot of aspects of um, history and historical conflict that are that are probably not best touching on. So I think you you need to look closely at what you're what you're exploring in history and see how that would translate through a, a contemporary lens just to make sure that it's palatable to the, the audience. And if you are um, if you are going to explore with some controversial themes, and I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of what they are, um, I don't think I could touch on them all anyway, then you, you very clearly explain why and to what purpose um, and what safety mechanisms, uh, for want of a better phrase, are, are also in place for, um, for people. Uh, so I think that's a challenge looking at what where are you going to place place it in history and and why and 
I suppose, give people the reassurance that you're treating with the that period and those topics with uh, with quite a, a sensitive approach. Yeah, I also think that um, from a more you know practical side of things, um, it makes casting uh, a lot more difficult if you are uh, working on a historical LARP because um, gender roles are usually you know uh, very different. Uh, in the periods that you, if you try to portray a different um, a different century, um, which means that you know when you're writing your characters, you then it's obviously possible to have a few agender characters that could, you could switch around to either male or female. But um, you know you're going to have to write relationship into uh, relationships into your characters. So. Um, most of the time, you have to uh, you have to give them a gender, and um, often the female characters have a lot less in-game agency than the men do because, uh, you know, historically speaking, women had to have the agreement of their father or brother to do a lot of things, um, and I think those those themes are interesting to to explore and to play on. Um, but you really need to make sure that you have a balance within the game so that you don't end up with everybody wanting to play a woman or everybody wanting to play a man, um, which, yeah, which makes the casting a bit more difficult and um, takes quite a lot of time. And you also need to make sure, like you mentioned, that um, you, um, you put in place mechanisms that you know, allow everybody to be comfortable with um well the role that they're playing and the interactions that they're having with the other players as well i'll just jump on that as well and one of the things i discovered or, or came to a conclusion when planning jacobite was that a lot of the men folk that time the lairds the lairds heirs etc were either killed in rebellions or forced into exile and that the, the continuity was the um, females, the the clan, um, and we we chose one particular clan to be a prominent feature of the clan Cameron. Actually, you mm -hmm. look at all the intermarriages between that clan and neighboring clans, and you can see how well placed they were. And the binding element of that was the um, mother and the daughters who'd been married out. And I don't know if it came across in the game. It, but we certainly wanted to get that strong matriarchal feel across that they were the continuity they were the ones who had the experience and you know some of the lairds were like barely out of their teens where you had you know aunts and grandmothers and stuff like that that were um you know had a considerable more experience so it's just um it's just something you 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 come across by researching a period or a particular epoch in considerable detail and you go you just you make those inferrals from um, okay, that detail. That actually worked really well at Jacobite. Um, when I played the uh, the second run, I got a feeling that all the female characters were the actual people who were pulling the strings, and and the men were just sort of pretending to have the power, but in truth, it was always the wife. Oh, I'm, I'm really <laughs> glad to see that that continued on through, and um, yes. and again, it's one of the reasons why we jumped in that period because it's just it's a great leveler 
while at the same time allowing the um the the, the, the historical norms the gender profile we'd say to on the surface appear as they are but actually the reality is very different and, I, and i'd like to think that that could ring through in other periods as well in so much that what what is recorded is one version of history but but the reality is is actually very different mm -hmm. so and, and and lisa's already touched on this but i'm going to expand on the question a little bit um so how important then is the casting um, and, I, and I know that you discuss players, but let, let's also look at, at the NPCs, the non-player characters. Mm -hmm. How important is it to, to get those cast correctly for a historical LARP? I think this depends on what role you give to your NPCs. Um, at the meeting of monarchs, all the, um, let's say, the characters that are uh, the most visible, uh, so the kings, the queens, are player characters. Um, but if they were NPCs, I think it would be really important to um, choose NPCs that are really comfortable with public speaking. Um, and I mean, this is not necessarily only for historical LARPs. I mean, this this is the case um, if you in in any kind of setting, if you need. Uh, an NPC for um, a politically important character um, that is very important. I don't really know necessarily if there is an aspect um, to our NPC roles that um, might be uh, linked to the fact that it is a historical LARP. Um, I mean, we we have a gesture role, but I mean, you obviously you need you need someone in that role who is um, comfortable with um, in game and in a friendly way insulting people. Uh, <laughs> but again, like I, I'm not sure if that has anything specifically to do with um, with historical LARP. So maybe maybe um, maybe Colin has a better answer for this one. No. No, I think you're you're spot on there. Um, but one one point of, of clarification, if I may, please, Martin. So we say casting, but this is um this is writing the the actual characters as or creating the characters as part of the wider um, event. Is is that have I got the right angle in that? Yes, I mean, so so in general, you know, when, when I think of an NPC for a LARP, it's it's either a background character, so. Um, you know, if we look at, um, I'm just trying to think of the last LARP I did. The last LARP I did was Starfall. So if we look at Starfall, you know, the NPCs were either the villagers that were next to the academy or, you know, the, the, the snot goats that lived on the planet where the, the, you know, the space wizards had set up their, their academy kind of thing. Um, you know, and the writing for those two characters is very different. You know, the, the, the the snot goat is essentially just, you know, your standard animal that, that you can kind of interact with. And the villagers were more of a direct interaction. And part of the plot of the villagers was to try to point point you in the right direction. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, no, agreed there. So I guess I'll go back to my most recent experience, so, so Jacobite. So a lot of my inspiration 
when I came to designing Jacobite was drawn from um, a number of excellent uh, or an excellent event that I went to in the Netherlands um, called uh, Dancing at Darcy's, uh, run by Anna Marieke and Wouter, and um, incredible event. It was just so much effort was put in, and eff- effectively you you sign up for the LARP, you ask, you give them your preferences of what experience effectively you want from the the LARP event and a few other criteria, and they write your character for you. And every event I've been at with them, they they have got it on the money. Um, so I wanted to take that as a concept and bring it forward into to to, to Jacobite. Um, and it's it's not unique. It's it's something I've encountered more than the the LARPs in Europe, but certainly in the UK, the philosophy for LARP is that you you design your own character, you come along, and I think it's in my experience, it's it's hit and miss how cohesive the um, the environment is and how how joined up everybody is with the setting. Um, that there can be some jarring um, discrepancies there, but but certainly Jacobite, we we went to great lengths to ensure all the characters uh, were there for a reason, had a purpose, and had an investment and agency. Um, you know, they all were tied into the overarching plot, and then they were all interconnected with subplot lines, and then there was individual relationships between each one. And we did our best to make sure it was split as, as equitably as possible amongst um, all those characters. Um, I don't think we got it right in every instance. There was room for improvement in a few areas, and you know, we, we did ask for constructive feedback on that, and um, you know, it was it was constructive. Uh, and I wanted to put a few changes in there, but uh, I just because of work pressure and the like, I wasn't able to get involved in the second running of it. Um, but it's with that design philosophy, you take a very light touch on NPCs, and NPCs that are there are are really there just as a um, as support to the players. So I play the role of the, I suppose, the steward or the, the the butler equivalent, and that's basically because I could move between upstairs and downstairs, and and interact with all players. But maybe to see if they they were all right, checking in them, they were getting the game and the experience they wanted, or if there was any <clears throat> logistic or admin questions, you know, they had, um, they could approach me regarding that, and it wouldn't look out of place to be speaking to somebody. Um, equally, the, the kitchen cook there was an NPC, but um, you know, a lot of the downstairs um, characters ended up cycling in out there, and it was just a nice place just to go and relax and um, uh, and chill for a bit. And then conversely, Mark, who played the the host, um, was there as a, a facilitator for the um, for the, the Laird's ladies, etc. Um, so we had um, all bases covered from an NPC perspective, but it was there really as a facilitator. And just to keep a finger on the pulse of how the game was progressing, um, we want to give as much agency to the players as possible. And um, uh, how can I say? Uh, yeah, just just let them determine where the the game goes. I was actually very surprised at the amount of secrets and answers that the NPCs held at Jacobite. Um, and I only realized that this was a thing at about uh, probably on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and um, and I, I think uh, Mark probably laughed at that a little bit, that I, I only realized so late that the answers that I was looking for were there, but I was just not asking them of the, set, of the right people because I figured that the NPCs wouldn't know. <laughs> 
So um, it, it, it was very well done uh, at Jacobite, the way that um, the, the NPC roles were also integrated into, into the plot and the family secrets and everything. So it, cool. no, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved in the second running, so I, I don't know who was, who was in what role there. I, I wouldn't be able to, to tell you their names, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, it's no problem. No problem at all. So it it does raise sort of a uh, a follow up question in essence, which is especially if you want your characters to have a lot of agency, which is better for a historical LARP: a free written character or a character that the players get to write themselves? Oh, I I definitely think in any setting that. Uh, writing a character yourself gives you way less agency than getting a character from from a writer. Um, still, you know, saying that you obviously it's your character, so you do with it what you want. But um, it is very difficult if you are writing a character yourself to have uh, plots and secrets that are linked to other characters without you as a player knowing about it. This is an issue that I'm having with uh, Host currently, which is a Viking LARP happening in June, um, where we do not get any pre-written characters nor pre-written relationships. And I feel very lost actually because I mean, I, I could obviously, I could play anything that I want, but I don't want to play anything that I want. I want to be surprised. And I want to have something written into my character where, I don't know, maybe my, my father got murdered, but I have no idea who did it. So I need to go and figure it out. And if I am supposed to write that kind of uh, secret or, or intrigue into, into my character myself, then you know, I would have to reach out to another player going like, hey, could you be the murderer of, of my father? But then, you know, as a character, I wouldn't know that. But as a player, I already do. So there's no uh, no revelation, really. Um, so some might think that, yeah, receiving a pre-written character is, is restraining, but I actually think the opposite. I totally agree with you. Um, certainly from my perspective, I think... Um... I think as long as you get people the right mindset, and one phrase I've come across recently is "play to inspire rather than play to win." So go go with the mm -hmm. go with the uh, what's appropriate. Um, and I think there's so many surprises. You know, you're reading a book, and if, sorry, if you go to a a, a pre-written event like this, um, you it's like reading a book, and you're just going through that discovery. And yes, someone knows and who does what, but you don't. And it's a voyage of discovery for you with that. And it's, I've been to a few now, um, yeah, the, the Dancing at Darcy's ones, the Fairweather Manor, I suppose, really, as well. And a number of Wild West events that were run here in the UK. Um, and you do feel like the whole LARP is based around you, because you know who to go and interact to, stuff is cropping up every so often, and you're like, oh, that's, I need to get stuck into that, that's for me. And you have your your own set piece encounters, and but everyone got that experience, and I think it's really masterful the way that that is pulled off. So I do um, absolutely for pre-written characters. Uh, what I would say is it's it is a hybrid approach. So rather than write your own character, 
you would canvas players on if, if, if the characters haven't already been pre-written and you are writing characters for players canvas the players on what experience they want at the event so you can help align them to a an appropriate character and equally what what is taboo what do they not want what, what plot lines or experiences do they not want to be involved in and then mm-hmm. shield them from that um but but yeah pre-written characters is absolutely as well so it's interesting because I, I i've played in larps where i've had pre-written characters that were absolutely wonderful um you know the, the fairweather manor character was a lot of fun um, and and partially it was a lot of fun because I, I shared a lot of background with my character, just just actual like the way that the character was written. Um, you know, it it was it was a complete fluke, I guess, that the character happened to come from Chicago, and at the time we were living in Chicago. Yeah. So yeah. we had, we did some interesting casting with Fairweather Manor. Um, I was really lucky that I so I was with the Fitzgerald family, the Irish. Um, um, of course you were <laughs> to be sure <laughs> and uh, i got originally got cast as the um the earl's brother who was like this mid-40s pacifist etc so I was, I was the right age actually i'm mid-40s but my friend harry who is probably a bit older than his mid-40s um got cast as the the 20 year old heir so we we had a chat and we decided you've got more of a chance of passing as a 20-year-old heir than I do. Shall we swap characters? And I was just like, yeah, your one looks far more interesting. I can do with that. So I ended up playing the heir, and I was looking at various aspects of the background that's written in that were quite prescriptive. I just thought, no, I'm going to play around with this a bit. So instead of being a um, an addict, I thought it would be more appropriate to make him an alcoholic. Um, so I took that slant on it, and... Um, Lucky, and but I was very lucky as well. In some that we had a, a fantastic immediate player group that we met numerous times before the event, uh, and we all just hit it off so well, and and really worked to enhance the experience each other got from that. Playing little jokes every now and then, but all that were appropriate for the character, and it was probably one of the best. Actually, no, hands down, it was probably the best LARP experience I had at Fairweather Manor, and that's down to just just really good people who who played to inspire. Um, and uh, yeah, had a fantastic time. And also the building relationships with people that I'd never met before. So the character was basically um, injured in the, the war in the trenches, returned back, was, was shell-shocked. So PTSD is obviously what we call it now. Alcohol was a coping mechanism. Um, but I decided to put a few little um, uh, little nuggets in there that if if played on could could save that character and one of there was uh, poetry which is mentioned in the background i decided to exploit that and um another character reached out because they had a some sort of a similar background but from a lower class status and we decided that you know our character's relationship would be you know i'd be the uh siegfried sassoon to their wilfred owen and just by chance met up in the game and that that played out and it was it was fantastic to watch that ex- uh, watch that run sorry i'm rabbiting on now i'll stop there no that's that's perfectly fine it, you know as i said fairweather was one of those where i think the character i got was very well written the interactions i had was very well written um there were two ways that that essentially my character could have ended that larp and and 
the one that I chose didn't give me the closure that I wanted, which actually was both great and annoying. It was annoying from a play, from a player perspective, but it was actually amazingly great from a character perspective. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was absolutely playing that character to lose. You know, yeah. this guy started the event and he was going to be on a downward spiral, but actually just the, the various interactions I've had with people just, um, has rescued him really. Yeah. Um, uh, quite touching but you know but that oh sorry go ahead yeah Uh, i i really loved for the manor as well and i was actually uh going into it um playing the uh, eldest daughter of the wayward family from the u.s so she was like Mm -hmm. the southern belle that wanted everything um Ah. she she wanted the man she wanted the money she wanted all of it and rides me sorry she, she, yes, she, and she was also one of the bridesmaids. Yes, <laughs> I, I got set on fire with the stag too. <laughs> Sorry, that I was, I'm, I'm kind of sad that we missed that. We were very, uh, very demure on our end of the uh, of the castle, <laughs> but um, it's just, so I went into the game thinking that you know this, uh, not necessarily that I wanted to play to win, uh, not at all, but. I, I felt optimistic for the outcome of my character's story. And in the end, she she I mean she got everything that she wanted. She got engaged to the heir of the French branch of the family. Mm-hmm. Um and like he he went down on his knee in front of her father and everything, and it was very touching. And then the next day, uh there was the emotional elevator where uh, he got her new fiance with whom she was going to get married and have a family and you know um, go back to the USA together. Um, he got drafted into the war and she just saw you know her future completely shatter in that moment. Um, and then it was the end of the game. Uh, and it was excellent. The emotional elevator, it was absolutely I loved it. It was so great. Yeah. So the girl who played your, your, I guess, younger sister. Yes. Um, she she was the one that my character. So, so my character had two options. I could either go for her, or I could go for um, the girl that was playing your maid. Ah uh, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I had both built into the uh, both were built into the character that I got, and and I opted to go for your sister, and it was this great proposal, and then her response was. I'll make a decision after the war. And it was like, ah! <laughs> no. Yeah, she did not want to get married to anyone. Yeah. yeah. No, and it she was... was just too independent. <laughs> and from a character perspective, it was great. But from a wanting closure, from a me wanting closure for my character, it was yeah. like, crap. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was that, that, that. So that was a good one for me, but but from you know, I mean, I've I've played other LARPs where where I've had a character, where writ, character written for you, and then it turns out like halfway through the LARP, you learn that, oh no, you have no agency. You absolutely want to do the thing, and I'm like, but I don't want to do the thing. <laughs> and I know I hate when that happens when you feel railroaded into something that just is very unnatural. 
Yeah, it reminds me of Sahara Expedition. That's the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we we were in that together as well. <laughs> yes. uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I loved Sahara from the venue. Oh, it, I loved Sahara yeah. from where we were. Yeah, and the, the general plot was fine. But my issue with that LARP is that you felt like you were in a movie. And, and you couldn't deviate from that script no matter how yeah. hard you tried. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it made no sense for, for our, um, our group to, to be forced into what we were forced into. Um, well, as, as, yeah. And it was really funny because my, my wife was in that LARP as well. And she had like three of the keys that they needed to open the door. Mm -hmm. And she just made a conscious decision not to hand the keys over. And yet, the door still opened. Yeah. So in that case, I think it is important to tell the players yeah. in the character sheet, we need you in these pre-scripted scenes to do this. Yeah. Because, I mean, for, for instance, for Meeting of Monarchs, it's the same. The treaty, the peace treaty is going to happen. And everybody knows that. It is the path that leads up to that that is you know the 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 interesting part that's um that's what we want people to play on like how do we get to the signing of the treaty um and it is clearly stated everywhere that the final scene of the game um is when the treaty is signed and we have a number of pre-written scenes uh, that are also written into the character sheets for like the, the most prominent characters, like the Kings, Cardinal Wolsey, um, et cetera, mm. where we tell people at this time on this day, we need you to make sure that this happens. And I mean, as long as you're clear about it, I think it's fine because then the expectations are set. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that for, unfortunately for Sahara Expedition, this was something that for, I think mostly the Legion, um, was a bit disappointing. Maybe maybe they fixed it in the meantime because I did um, I did give feedback on that uh, after the game. I, I gave quite a lot of feedback on that as well. Um, so I've oh, sorry, Martin. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying I've played a another game, uh, Legion Siberian Story in the mm -hmm. uh, Czechia, and, uh, and I suppose in many ways that is you know that is absolutely railroaded. You know, you will go from point A to point B to point C and um, and specific things will happen. But again, you're, 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 it's like reading the book, you don't know what's happening next as a player. And it, while it was railroaded, it didn't feel like that. No, maybe that's because you're caught up in such so, so many internal plot lines and experiences that you don't have time to, to think about that. Or it's just you know, the, the time between moving from point A to point B and reacting to instances is just um, it's time to dwell on, on, on what's going on there. Um, but that was again surrounded by um, some really good players and had a had an amazing experience actually. Um, so I just wonder really is, is actually with that in mind and just thinking Sahara would have been different with different players or would that not have made any difference? Do you think? I don't. At least for me, I don't think it would have. I mean, no. that said, it was still it was still a great LARP. But yeah, this was one specific thing that bothered me. Yeah, no, and it it, it, it's, it was the same thing for me. Um, 
but as as I was going to mention also that you know I've 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 been in certain LARP where where I've had to write my own character and 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 I realize that 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 you know part of the issue there is is how does that tie into other characters and things like that but uh, specifically for these and they're not historical LARP which I think probably makes it easier you know there's there's a process during the game where you get assigned to a group. And that assignment then sort of brings out something that suddenly you all have in common. Um, and, and I find that I find that an equally intriguing way to develop characters. And I think we're probably going to do a show on that later on this year. Um, but back to historical LARP. Um, is, is there a time period that you think is easier to set a historical LARP in? And, and, and if so, why? Um, to, oh. I would say um, when it comes to costumes and location, probably a 20th century LARP would be yeah. the easiest to do. Um, be it in Europe or elsewhere, even in the US. So I think um, accessibility, probably something Wild West related is, is one of the most accessible because of the sheer amount of kit and equipment that's produced in, in the States uh, that you can buy in. I think it depends what you want to get after. There's, um, I mean, if you're doing a, a social heavy LARP event, then I think early 30s um, and the whole Art Deco scene is is amazing. And I want to definitely want to do that. Perhaps a Agatha Christie, Christie murder mystery style thing in an English mansion, blended in with something like Fairweather Manor. That'd be that'd be what I want to do. I think you know I'd love to do that. But it's getting the right venue and, and obviously the costuming right for it as well. Um, but I think as soon as you start going back into the, um, yeah, the the, the, um, the 19th century, the 18th century, then it starts getting very heavy duty in terms of costume, um, perceived costume requirements anyway, and and venues, and mm-hmm. you know, people would spend probably more putting the costume together than they would on the ticket price, which would not be considered first place either. Um, so it's it's extremely niche. Um, one of the things I'd love to do with, with Jacobite is dip back in, grow the player base, and find a period appropriate venue for a much larger LARP with 50 to 60 players uh, and really go to town on the, the various machinations between the clans players. But it's it, it'll be a struggle, and it's just such an investment in that costume. So... So, so for you then, uh, uh, one you'd like to explore further is is delving deeper into the Jacobite LARP. Um, for, uh, is there one that you'd like to uh, like to look into further, uh, Lisa? Well, there was a time uh, when I was working at Jobok LARP Studios where we were uh, going to launch a Beaky Blinders LARP, and unfortunately, due to a lot of circumstances that never happened, but I would love to play a Peaky Blinders LARP. I don't know if I would have the energy to to make another one, <laughs> um, but I would I would love to to delve into that universe. So, I think uh, that would be a lot of fun. 
So I've got a bit of a connection with Peaky Blinders, actually, uh, through oh. my sister. Yeah, she's the um, production designer for it. Really? Yep. Oh, my. She did, she did seasons five and six. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, I'm touching wood here while I say it because she's um, she's up. She's been awarded, or sorry, nominated for an award over in LA, which she's heading out to ah. in a few weeks. So oh, we're, wow. we're all waiting with bated breath, really. That um, is incredible. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. So um, it, it, she's put a few subtle little Easter eggs as well in the plot designs. <laughs> so, um, oh, I don't know, one of the shop fronts, for example, is a, uh, is a builder. And my, my dad is a builder by trade. So she's put his details up on top of the shop front. So no one would notice unless you know. Um, that's oh. really nice and um, yeah we just got a few little uh, artifacts there that she's uh, she created and uh, gave us as gifts so it's um yeah I um I'd love to be part of that <laughs> oh yes <laughs> I, I I wish her I wish her luck with the award oh thanks mate appreciate it oh, definitely uh, she definitely deserves it so so assuming it runs what is next for each of you with LARP. So I've just received a, been had a friend read out, reach out to me and it's a concept we've been mulling over as a kind of a group for quite a few years actually. And I think it's, he's finally made a decision to, to go ahead with it. Um, but the, I don't have the details there, but um, certainly the concept is it's World War II as a setting. And it's focusing on one of the SOE, Special Operations Executive, um, finishing schools. So are you familiar with what the, the SOE is in World War II? I'm not. Okay, so these are, I suppose, secret, secret agents that are ultimately recruited from um, all walks of life, um, predominantly female, actually, and, you know, uh, Dispora from Europe um, that, that fled the, the Nazi conquest. They'd come to England, they'd volunteer, they'd go through a, a filter system to, to recruit people who are, have the appropriate skill sets. And basically they'd be trained up to be special agents and um, put back into Europe to, to launch a guerrilla campaign or do sabotage or spying against the Nazis. It sounds like an uh, action field LARP. Yeah. Um, where where was it? So, where, where, where is the LARP or where? Yeah, so it's, LARP. we're focusing on the finishing schools. So it'd be a, um, typically it'd be a big house, maybe in the Scottish Highlands, where they mm. would do some practical training lessons on uh, interrogation techniques, ciphering, uh, deciphering, uh, lock picking, explosives. Um, uh, and the LARP would focus on that as well. So it'd give people some practical skills. And then you'd do a trial mission with them. And it could be a case that you'd have a team formed up of a number of people, all these different skill sets, uh, and they're all working independently, but it's all, but the output of that is all interrelated. Um, and there's also a social side to it as well. So you'd have to, you know, as we'd say, blag or bluff your way into to a place uh, and, uh, and conduct your mission or, you know, be resistant to interrogation or just, um, be able to bluff your way out of a out of a scenario so it's not um it's not purely action there's a lot of soft skills there as well uh, and i suppose the bottom line is there there's something for everybody uh, and again it's one of these periods or one of these niches in history where gender is is irrelevant 
um, and gender equality, for want of a better phrase, would be present. So there'd be no gender bias. So you would have females doing action roles, uh, males perhaps doing support roles, all mission dependent. So it's uh, it's definitely it's something we want to do a bit more. That sounds very exciting. It does yeah. So Lisa, what's what's next for you? Um, right. So I actually have a few lined up. Um, in March, I have Jacobite round three. Um, in which, so I I missed the first one, and then um, they kindly integrated me into the plot uh, for the second one. Um, so my character is the factor, which is kind of the administrator for for a family um, handling the financials and and the business. Um, so she's a factor of um, the clan Shaw. And uh, Clan Shaw are basically uh, privateers, so licensed pirates. Um, and um, we uh, are mostly up to legal business, um, but some of it might not be as legal as the rest. <laughs> so um, yeah, she, she's a very exciting character to play. So I'm really looking forward to that to um, the, the rest of her story, because at the end of the game, we were asked to uh, send in like a, a bit of a description of what happened to our characters. And um, for the next run, uh, Mark and Nicole are going to send us uh, an update of what happened between um, the events at uh, the second run and the upcoming events at uh, the third run. So I'm looking forward to see what my character has been up to. Um, and then after that, I am going to Miskatonic University. Oh, which um, one are you on? I am run four uh, in April. Run seven. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought the tickets from a friend who, who couldn't make it, unfortunately. But um, so I, I was looking at it for a while and yeah, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go, but then she she offered the ticket, so okay, let's go. <laughs> and and I'm actually really looking forward to it. I just got my character as well, and she's um she was born uh, in a circus, mm -hmm. um, and uh, she isn't really a freak herself apart from the fact that she has lost an eye. So I actually just today made an eye patch, a leather eye patch, uh, for this character. Um, so yeah, she's, uh, she's going to be something completely different from what I'm used to playing. So it's going to be exciting. And then after that, I have a Downton Abbey inspired LARP called Linwood Hall. I've seen that actually. Is that, that's a German one, I think, is it? Uh, so it's run by a German team. Um, yes. but, uh, tech team LARPs, I think it's called. Oh. Um, but it takes place in France. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, I've come across yeah. that. Yeah. And um, I also got my character for that one. And it's basically, if you have ever watched Downton Abbey, you know the main character, Mary Crawley. Yes. Um, my, that's basically my character. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be fun. Um, and then after that, I have Host, uh, the, the Viking LARP that I mentioned earlier. 
and uh, my character is going to get married at that LARP. So that's also very exciting. Sounds, sounds like you have a big LARP schedule planned for the, for the upcoming year. Um, yes. Luckily, I work for a company that makes LARP weapons, so that helps with <laughs> getting days off. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could say that I have a large LARP schedule coming up, but uh, I, I actually only have one uh, for the rest of the year, which is in July. It's the second run of Starfall, which is essentially Space Wizard School. Mm. Um, and we're going to have... So, so Mark, a few um, reverse questions on the, the interviewer. What, what's the historical LARP scene in the US like? Or So... There's there's a whole bunch of Western LARPs um, that run occasionally. Um, there's also a very huge Renaissance fair mm -hmm. um, community that that does you know the whole Renaissance fair thing, which while not LARPing, a lot of there's a lot of overlap. Um, it's it's LARP adjacent, yeah. It's definitely LARP adjacent, and there's a lot of overlap between between the crowds that do it. Um, so, you know, f from a historical perspective, I'd say those are, those are probably the biggest ones. Every so often you get, um, a LARP that's directly like tied into a, a historical event. Um, they did one on the battleship, New Jersey, that was directly tied into the Vietnam war, okay. um, which I really wanted to go to. I just didn't want to spend the money because it was quite expensive. Um, they actually had so if you were willing to shell out ten thousand dollars, you got to dry fire the the big guns on the New Jersey. And was really <laughs> oh my! To do that. So big. tempted. Then <laughs> that, my wife said no. <laughs> your, your wife has sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. No. I yes. I, I, I I know she does. Um, so they occasionally do things like that as well because we have a whole bunch of we have a whole bunch of warships that are lying around really asking to be used yeah. um but i'd say that the western ones are probably the biggest ones um that they happen the most frequently um for a short while i was looking at taking over fairweather manor and moving it to the u.s mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately the the circumstances of doing that would have cost me too much money to buy the rights and mm -hmm. quite honestly more more so than the rights were worth so. Yeah, but I think there's IP on on a kind of a 19, well, it depends what you want to set it and what you want to call it, um, but a, a English aristocracy, manor house, LARP, I don't think there's any IP on that. No, there it isn't. Was, it was more about the design and the characters, I think, but the problem yeah. is that those were, I mean, we don't even know who wrote them in the end, really, yeah. so you yeah. can't really sell it if you... If you don't know who owns the rights, yeah, and that was that 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 was part of the big issue with that one. So so well, I I I happily passed on that. Um, but we were looking at that for a while. Um, I don't think there's currently a a, a Downton Abbey type LARP running in the U.S., but I'd have to look to be honest. Yeah, I'm not tracking anything of that scale in, and certainly not in the U.K. And uh, I've not come across anything like that in in Europe. Um, I know the Lindhurst Hall you've, you've mentioned. Uh, we're looking at that, but I think that's a that's a much it's smaller a scale. Smaller, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, forty players or something. Yeah. yeah so, and Fairweather Manor was what one hundred and fifty. 
yeah, something like that upstairs, mm. downstairs. But it was, yeah, there was, it felt crowded yeah. in a good way. We've, yeah, we've we've got about two hundred at Starfall. Oh, What's, what is Starfall actually? So Starfall is a space wizard academy, um, essentially where you've got five different sects of space wizards. And then there's a sixth sect that no longer exists that essentially, you know, are the evil space wizards. Um, that's probably the best way and easiest way to describe it. Fair enough. Um, we do. So a lot of the lightsaber stuff that we do there, we've actually, uh, they've actually worked together with Ludosport, which is the, the Italian um, international lightsaber um, combat system. So we actually get some real lightsaber combat in which is kind of fun Um, but that's that's essentially what it is and you know it's 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 a nice larp to do it's a it's it's at a uh, they actually have a the the venue for it is actually a college in the u.s so it really feels like you're going to school you get to sleep in the dorms which hammers that feeling home even further (laughs) um but yeah i think that that that's certainly the next one for me so um, I think this has been an excellent discussion and I would love to continue this for hours, but unfortunately yep. our time is coming to a close. So I would like no, to thank Lisa. Fair. Yep. I'd like to thank Lisa and Colin for joining us today. Thank you for having us. A privilege. Yeah, no, it's really nice to, um, yeah, chat about a historical LARP and, um, uh, and get new ideas and fresh perspectives and, uh, meet new interesting people. Thank you. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of From Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. Uh, our next episode, which will release around the 20th of May, which will be the third episode of the fourth season. Um, I don't know what that's covering yet, but I will post something on our blog eventually. Um, oh, it's actually, it's going to cover player agency. If I keep reading my script, it'll tell me. Uh, it's going to cover player agency, and we're going to look at some of the LARPs that do this well, and some of the LARP that don't do this well. Um, Again, I'd like to thank my guests for joining me live on the show. I'm your host, Martin. Thank you for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Mal Books. Additionally, we'd like to thank Lex Media for the use of their Fred Roth Mal Memorial Podcast Studio. And I would, again, like to thank Feedspot for our inclusion uh, on their list of top five LARP podcasts. Please check out all of their links on our website, adventure.keeper.com.